This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Virginia Allen. The Supreme Court is preparing to decide the future of social media. Social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter are shielded from the publication standards that newspapers are held to. While a news outlet can be sued for publishing knowingly false information, the same strict standards don't apply to social media sites due to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996. Section 230 exempts social media platforms from liability for what is posted on their platforms. But some argue that these tech platforms should be held accountable for false or dangerous information that is posted on them. This week, the Supreme Court is hearing two cases involving Section 230. Joining us today is Heritage Foundation legal fellow and co-host of the SCOTUS 101 podcast, Zach Smith, to talk a little bit more about this. Stay tuned for my conversation with Zach after this. This is Mike Howell at the Heritage Foundation. I know how the left and the deep state operate because I've seen it from the inside. When I was working for the Trump administration, I learned how the left made our lives miserable and how they continued to think they could play by their own rules. Well, now we're taking all these tricks and tactics that were deployed against the Trump administration and turning them against the Biden regime. Through the work of the Oversight Project, we're exposing the left for what they are and embarrassing some actors responsible. We're using strategic FOIAs and fearless litigation to force these bureaucrats to deliver documents they prefer to never see the light of day. But for our work to be successful, we need patriots like you to stand with us. You can take action now. Visit heritage.org oversight to learn more. There's no time to waste. Zach Smith, welcome to the show. We're really appreciative of you joining us today to break down what exactly Section 230 is and why it matters right now. Of course. Thank you for having me on, Virginia. So let's start, Zach, with that big picture. Explain a little bit further, if you would, what exactly Section 230 says and really what the point of the law is. Sure. Well, Section 230, it's part of the Communications Decency Act in 1996. And it basically says that publishers of content on the internet, like social media companies, Facebook, Twitter, Google, and, and others as well, that if they're simply publishing materials that other have posted in general, they cannot be liable uh, for any harm caused from that content. Uh, and Section 230 has really been referred to as one of the fundamental building blocks of the modern internet. It's what allowed, has allowed you know, search engines uh, to proliferate, what's allowed social media companies to proliferate. Uh, but there's been a feeling in recent years that maybe Section 230, at least the way the courts have interpreted it, has gone too far and that there should be some limits or some liability that attaches uh, to the content posted on the internet, particularly where many of these big tech companies are doing something that looks like content moderation, you know, choosing to highlight certain search results, choosing to de-emphasize or even, you know, uh, flag uh, certain content as potentially harmful or misleading. And so this has been a major debate, not only in the tech community, but also in courtrooms across the country as more and more tech companies face lawsuits are increasingly invoking Section 230 as a shield to liability. Well, it 
certainly is true that social media has changed a lot since Section 230 was first implemented in 1996. We've seen so many changes and so many new social media platforms arise. So why why is Section 230 being challenged right now? What is the Supreme Court considering, uh, first off, in this case, Tuesday? We, we have a situation where a California family sued Google and YouTube over the tragic death of their 23-year-old daughter during an ISIS terrorist attack in Paris. Uh, why does this family argue that Google and YouTube are somehow responsible for their daughter's death? Yeah, so it's a really interesting question, Virginia. And basically, you know, there are two cases that the court's considering together, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, uh, where Google and Twitter are both being sued under something called the Anti-Terrorism Act, the ATA, as it's commonly known. Uh, The Google case, as you mentioned, the victim in that case was killed in a, a Parisian terrorist attack in Twitter. The victim was killed in a terrorist attack that took place in Turkey. But both families are essentially claiming that Google uh, and Twitter should be liable under the ATA, this Anti-Terrorism Act, because they essentially knowingly aided or abetted uh, terrorist organizations in committing these acts. Now, the Google case that you mentioned is particularly important and particularly interesting because Google is invoking Section 230 as a shield to liability. They're saying that they should not be held liable, that they cannot be held liable under Section 230 uh, because they were essentially just reposting uh, content that others had provided to them. Now, the specifics in this case are really fascinating because essentially what the family in the Google case is arguing is that by recommending certain YouTube videos, you know, if you go on YouTube, a lot of times uh, YouTube will recommend follow-on videos that will often start auto-playing after the video you watch uh, has finished. And so the family's arguing that because of that, Google should be Uh, liable under the ATA, and that Section 230 doesn't provide a defense to them because really what they're doing in that instance looks something more like uh, content moderation, something more like uh, what you would see in a traditional uh, content curation process uh, that is distinct, at least the families argue, from simply reposting uh, the videos of third parties. So, Zach, given your legal expertise, what are the questions that the Supreme Court justices are asking? Give us from their perspective, how are they thinking about these cases and what are they considering as they they hear arguments uh, both heard on Tuesday and, and hearing today on Wednesday? Well, I'm very hesitant to to make any predictions these days, uh, Virginia, particularly at the Supreme Court. Uh, But look, we've seen in the past some justices, particularly Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, has expressed some skepticism about the scope of Section 230 as it's currently being interpreted by the lower courts. Justice Thomas had pushed for the Supreme Court to take up a case to essentially resolve some of the conflicts involving uh, lower court interpretation of Section 230, the scope of Section 230. And so I think you you should see and anticipate seeing uh, some tough questioning from Justice Thomas and some of the other conservative justices as well. Now, it is interesting. Apparently, Justice Neil Gorsuch in the Google case was feeling under the weather. Uh, and so he participated in those arguments telephonically. Uh, but I anticipate the justices will have tough questions 
uh, for all parties involving the scope of Section 230. One other interesting wrinkle I'll mention, Virginia, is, you know, in the Google case, essentially uh, Google and in the lower courts, Facebook and Twitter and some others were parties to the case as well. They're urging the court to decide this case simply on the scope of the APA, basically saying if you find that these tech companies cannot be sued under the Anti-Terrorism Act, there's no need for the court to reach the Section 230 question. And so it'll be interesting to see if the justices uh, accept that invitation for an off-ramp or whether they decide to reach the Section 230 question and clarify uh, its scope going forward. So in other words, we could see these cases play out and Section 230 isn't even uh, necessarily considered. Um, we, we, there's a possibility that we wouldn't see any changes to Section 230 uh, in the ruling of these cases. Yeah, that's right. And basically, you know, the other thing some of the justices may say is, look, it's not our job. It's Congress's job to decide to what extent tech companies should be liable, you know, whether we think we've struck the right balance or not. Uh, that's a question for Congress. And so I think in that vein, it'll be very interesting to see what Chief Justice Roberts does. You know, that's kind of a common refrain. Uh, that he makes, appropriately so in many cases, that it's Congress's job to make policy determinations, not the courts. Uh, And so this should be a very interesting debate. And it may not be one that divides cleanly along ideological lines like we typically think of them between the you know, conservative and more liberal justices. This may be one of the rare instances where there could be some ideological crossover. For those who want to see tech platforms held accountable for the content posted on platforms, how do they propose that that be done? I mean, the the whole point of social media is that it's an open marketplace of ideas and of information. So how can that aspect of this open space where where free speech is allowed uh, exist? And then also you have this element of moderation. I mean, can can the two be held together without free speech being violated? Well, it's a fascinating question, and I think it really cuts to the, uh, <laughs> the core of the question uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, but look, we've seen two states, at least, Texas and Florida, trying uh, to make sure that tech companies are not deplatforming individuals uh, due to their ideological beliefs. You know, both Texas and Florida passed bills that would essentially limit the ability of social media companies to deplatform or restrict access to certain individuals based solely on the content they're posting on those websites. Now, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, they upheld Texas's law uh, that would restrict the ability of social media companies to remove or deplatform certain individuals. And the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals, another intermediate appellate court, they struck down most of Florida's law that did essentially the same thing, but with some, some key differences. And so the court is currently being asked to review both of those cases as well. It's called for the views of the Biden administration to see what the Biden administration thinks in both of those cases. But what many people are saying, you know, there could be a potential conflict here depending on how the court rules in these uh, Google and Twitter cases. You know, if the court scales back the scope of Section 230, the immunity it provides, while at the same time, if it were to uphold Florida or Texas's laws, you know, people are saying this could put tech companies in a very difficult situation where they are prohibited uh, from restricting uh, certain information posted on their platforms at the same time 
where their immunity could potentially be scaled back. Uh, so I think there's a lot left to play out in this space. It will certainly be a, a very interesting uh, set of opinions to watch come out when the court issues them. And I think it will also be very important to watch and see whether or not the court decides to take up and review the cases involving Florida and Texas's uh, social media laws. And with all of these cases, is there a chance that the user experience could change in any sort of significant way moving forward? I mean, for, for our average listener, let's say there, there are major changes to Section 230. Are we going to potentially, uh, depending upon the rulings, start seeing a lot more content moderation uh, to where you know someone posting an opinion on their Facebook page, while we've already seen a lot of things taken down, uh, that could just increase. Well, it really depends. I think we just have to wait to see how this plays out. I think we have to wait to see what happens with the Texas and Florida laws as well, because again, the gist of those laws is to prevent tech companies from removing certain individuals. And there's always the possibility that Congress could get involved as well and pass legislation in this area. And so, again, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in this area right now. Uh, there's also the backdrop. You know, there's a push by some members of the court to reevaluate uh, the standard that courts apply when considering defamation claims, how those uh, tie into the court's First Amendment case law. And so I think we could potentially be in uh, for a few years of uncertainty in this very important area as many of these issues uh, continue to percolate their way through the courts and the tech companies and individual users uh, continue to, to figure out how to respond to these new changes. Hmm. Well, Zach, Tuesday was just the beginning of a two-week argument session for the justices. Are there any other cases that you're following closely? <laughs> there are. There's a couple of big ones uh, that the court still has to, to hear and decide. Uh, the two biggest ones are the ones involving the Biden administration's attempts to forgive student loan debt. Uh, the court is going to hear challenges to, to that action uh, in the next few weeks as well. There's also an important religious liberty case, uh, uh, Groff versus DeJoy, involving whether or not employers have to provide certain accommodations to religious employees. And then there's a number of other uh, interesting cases as well involving sovereign immunity, involving takings issues. And so even though we are in the back half of the court's term right now, uh, there is still a lot uh, left for the court to do before they end their term uh, later this year. Mm. Lots of exciting cases ahead. But Zach, we really appreciate your time today and your willingness to join us and break down uh, these little bit wonky cases on Section 230. We really appreciate it. Of course. Happy to do it. Well, and for all of our listeners, if you are interested in hearing more from Zach Smith on the legal front and getting analysis from him, you can check out the SCOTUS 101 podcast that he co-hosts with Giancarlo Canaparo, and you can also follow his work at heritage.org. But that's going to be it for today's episode. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Daily Signal podcast. If you have not had the chance already, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed where we bring you the top news of the day. And make sure to take just a moment to subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you like to listen, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox. We love hearing your feedback and seeing those five-star ratings and reviews come in. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll see you right back here at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. 
The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.